Welcome to Art Biz Talk, where we speak to visual artists and art professionals about creative entrepreneurship and give you the behind the scenes experience of how they built their art business. Now here is your host, Andrea Lavalor Purvis. Today we're speaking with Dustin Lee of Retro Supply, which he founded in 2012 when his first daughter was on the way. He was hoping to make diaper money and show her that he could make money doing something that he loved. Ten years later, Dustin has three employees and has now served over 150,000 customers. He co-hosts the Honest Designers podcast, and today he's sharing his best entrepreneurial advice for artists. Well, Dustin, welcome to Art Biz Talk. Share a little bit about your background and how you became a full-time entrepreneur and designer. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, Absolutely. I, I went to... Uh, an art school in high school and studied music and painting and you had to study everything. So I studied drama, dancing, all of it, but I was really into music and um, illustration and I wanted to become a musician, make a bunch of money as a musician. And mm -hmm. so I put the, the art to the side for a bit and I worked on getting into Berklee College of Music because I felt like that was the best music school to mm -hmm. go to if you wanted to do that. Um, I got in there and then I had second thoughts and decided not to go because it was a hundred, hundred grand a year. Whoa. And I thought, I what year was this? 1999. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of money for 1999. Oh yeah. It was, um, yeah. I mean, it, it was a huge <laughs> amount of money. And what I, what I thought was, I thought, well, I, I think I can do the art without going to school for it, but I don't think I can make it without understanding the business part of it. That's and smart. so I decided to study business instead. And mm. that got me into marketing. And uh, because I thought that business meant uh, something very different than I do today, I worked at a bank for mm -hmm. like four years. I okay. figured it's more business than a bank. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of where art and business were merging. I was trying to kind of get them both filled out. And um I eventually uh, got my business degree in, in, with an emphasis in marketing, and I had been working in this bank as a, a personal banker for a couple of years, and I was about to get married, and I was like, I have to get out of this, or I'm going to get stuck in this personal banking job I don't want to have um, for the rest of my life, and mm -hmm. so I quit, and I started studying design again. I'd gotten really into design via coding websites as like a hobby, mm -hmm. and um, it started just desperately trying to do freelance graphic design, had some uh, good and bad jobs, opening positions for graphic designers. And um, yes. that's- Were you working really with agencies or, or independent clients? Oh gosh, no, no, I wasn't good enough to get to have agencies uh, rep hiring me. I was, no. I worked for a, I worked for a law firm where I would design in a basement and then all of a sudden we had a, like a truck come up and we had to move everything from the head lawyer's house to her new house. What? And then I would go back to designing. I mean, it was real. Wow. Very humble beginnings. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I might question that law firm if it has to move ad hoc, but yes, <laughs> when, when you work for, uh, you know, a solopreneur or a small group, I remember um, designing for, um, a, 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 an event company and we got to work out of their garage you know it was like four or five of us and so we drove to their home every day or every other day and 
And that was, you know, humble beginnings that they then grew into a really great business and eventually had a full-blown office and all the things. So we all start small, right? Right. Well, I would imagine you found that probably pretty useful working in such a small business like that. Yeah. I mean, you, you learn all these aspects if you pay attention and you're interested, I will say that because you could absolutely just kind of show up and do your job and not be interested in learning other aspects. But I think what the, if, um, you know, if you look at it as a learning opportunity and ask questions or ask to be involved, you can certainly see and observe um, various aspects of running uh, a business of any kind. My my parents were both entrepreneurs and I remember being maybe nine and my dad uh, did a marketing campaign, quote unquote, and, th- and it was sending a catalog to many thousands of his mailing list. This part, this was the late eighties and, you know, I became mm. an, an employee <laughs> and uh, my, my whole family, I remember uh, stuffing envelopes and mailing these heavy catalogs. I mean, it was, it was hard work. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was kind of the, uh, like the golden <laughs> age of, I feel like um, direct marketing, direct you know, like marketing. all of our copywriting and the foundations yes. of that come from catalogs yes. where the prices were real and sending a yes. catalog costs money and you had to yes. make so much per customer. Yes. My, my dad had a, a an, in, he was an engineer and built these giant machines that, you know, not everybody was going to be buying these machines They were very targeted to, you know, schools and research labs and, I honestly couldn't even explain today what it is that he sold. <laughs> but hey, moving along, lessons learned. Very interesting. So you had you had the core of that of of what you do now kind of being yeah. planted there. Yeah. But I will also tell you, you know, just thinking back about that, my mother was also very entrepreneurial. She was um you know, a photojournalist. And when my sister and I were quite young, she she didn't work, but then she did go back to work and she was running around doing what she was doing on assignment, you know, in between uh, helping us, picking us up from school every now and then, although um, we got bikes and rain gear. So we pretty much had to uh, make it home in the rain. <laughs> Um, but yeah, fun memories of seeing my parent, both of my parents working really hard to um, provide, a, a, you know, a great life for us. We we also took so many great trips and I can certainly appreciate that now that I'm older um, uh, to make cash flow happen, right? Right. Well, yeah, I feel like seeing those things is um, going back to you talking about working for that small business and garage, yeah. seeing that or seeing your parents, seeing anything where you're seeing all of the moving pieces at once. I feel like, like for me, that was the big game changer in my life as I, I worked mm-hmm. for, um, at a blog, I love blogs um, mm-hmm. on a particular topic. And I started working for uh, one of my favorite bloggers. He had a, a blog called um, Illuminated Mind, and then it was changed to Paid to Exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had written him to ask to do free work because I just loved it that much. I just doing design work for that would have been fantastic. And I, like mm-hmm. a year after I wrote him, he wrote me and said, hey, do you still want to do something? And I was like, yeah. And I did a couple of things for him and um, he paid me. And um, then he offered me a full-time job. And Amazing. that I remember going to a coffee shop and sitting down and he said, let me explain to you how the business works. Cause it was just three of us. Okay. And he drew a funnel 
a sales funnel for the first time on a napkin in a coffee shop on Mississippi Avenue in Portland. And I remember thinking, I couldn't believe I was getting paid for this. And he was explaining this to me. Mm-hmm. And I also got paid for it. And he just kind of di- diagrammed out this funnel. Here's how the business works. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent two years working there and I was amazed by how much stuff I read in books that I thought I understood about how to make a business work. Mm-hmm. But then it's kind of like someone describing a flavor of ice cream tea that you've never had. Mm-hmm. And you think you know what that flavor is. And then you have it when you work in this business and you realize you were totally off. You didn't understand at all what those things mm-hmm. in that book meant or what was important and what wasn't. And uh, that only happens from those little businesses like that or, or family yeah. members doing it. Yeah. Do you remember what the funnel was? Oh, very vaguely. I mean, I, I, it was, I just remember, you know, it was a bunch of, you know, customers or people, visitors come to the website via here's the sources, right. Um, guest article, whatever. Um, some of them opt into the lead magnet to get onto the email list. Mm -hmm. Some of those people on the email list, um, start opening the emails and attend uh, webinars was our big way of making money. Some okay. of them attend what year was this, a webinar. We should, we should uh, reference that because. 2007, 2008. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. So this was kind of early days. This was when blogging was still something where people were like, uh, this is some nerd blogging, you know, like it didn't, people didn't really understand quite what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they would go to the webinar and then they would buy something and and that was the funnel that mm-hmm. I can remember. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, over the next two years, he proceeded to, you know, operate the business that way. And I got to see how this really worked. And um, it was just illuminating. That's amazing. Have you applied any of those lessons into the business that you run now, um, which we should mention, Retro Supply? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. I mean, the reason that I have a business today is... I can draw a line directly from my business to that business because when I started Retro Supply, which um, uh, what started on Creative Market, selling you know brushes right. and texture packs, mm-hmm. um, as soon as I saw some traffic hit that Creative Market site, I knew immediately from working for him exactly like almost instinctually what you should do. Mm-hmm. You want to get those people off you want to connect the with them as soon as possible get yeah. them off that marketplace and onto an email list where it can't be controlled yes um and then you want to build those relationships even deeper off of that platform yeah. and kind of that was early days for creative market so it was like have them help you to market and get exposure right they pay for all these ads like hundred thousand dollars a month plus back then which is mm-hmm. probably nothing to them now but Mm-hmm. That was how much they were spending on Facebook ads and stuff. And they're driving all this traffic. So leverage their traffic, let them take, you know, uh, their commissions off that and then try to make these people into your own customers. Mm-hmm. And did you have a website at the time selling the same thing or was that not allowed at this, at that time? It was allowed, um, but I was, um, Retro Supply was a, like a, I don't know, like a Hail Mary type business. <laughs> I I was living, we were in a bunch of debt, my wife and I, and um, I, I was working and doing graphic design, but making not, not enough to live. And we found out we were having our first daughter mm-hmm. and I had started this little startup with Jonathan, who was the person that ran Illuminated Mind, where I learned all this business stuff. 
but it wasn't really making traction. It was breaking even. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had very little time and I realized we had our child on the way and I just freaked out. We were living at my grandmother's house. Like my grandfather passed away. My grandmother was getting early onset dementia or not early onset, but early stages of dementia. Mm -hmm. And so we were there to help her, but like, it was also helping us because we didn't have to pay rent. Well, now I have a baby on the way and I am living at my grandma's house. It's very awkward. Mm -hmm. I feel very (laughs) weird. You know, that I, I, Feel like I should be you know in my own place and stuff and so I was like okay what I need to try to make some money almost to save face mm-hmm. and so uh, I started getting up really early in the morning just hoping to make diaper money and I would just make these brushes and texture packs um and then I kept doing that and I was like I'm I had learned from wor- working for Jonathan that one of the things that always led to success in our people we coached and in his business was consistency if you keep doing it mm-hmm. and you do it do it week in and week out right mm-hmm. and you're very consistent about it and methodical um those people almost always will achieve some level of success so mm-hmm. i was just very systematic and methodical every week a product came out every week i'd do that and um about five weeks in i remember my 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 phone started i was in starbucks working on a product and um my phone started just like going crazy with little notification bells, you know, ding, 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 mm-hmm. ding, 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 ding. Sounded like a slot machine. And it was notifications mm-hmm. for sales. Wow. Because they had featured my product in um, their newsletter. Mm-hmm. And I literally packed my bag up and ran home <laughs> to my wife because I wanted her to hear the phone. And yeah. I was like, you hear that? I got home and I was like, you hear that? Every one of those little dings is someone buying. Mm-hmm. And I think by the end of the day, I can't remember anymore. Forgive me if I'm, this isn't right, but I think it was somewhere between $800 and $1,000, which okay. at the time seemed absurd. It, I literally right. almost thought I was like breaking a law and I didn't quite know what to do. And how much were, what? so how much were your brushes and what was your profit? Um, well, it was really just uh, sweat equity. And then back then creative market took 30%. So I think I was probably the first thing I sold was probably $8. So I think that each, Ding was a uh, $5. Okay. Maybe four or $5. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. But you made about a thousand dollars in a day. And, mm. um, can you, uh, how did you even come up with designing brushes? And, um, yeah, I know I've worked as a designer for a number of years and I love creative market. Sometimes I just need a shortcut. Um, I'm not an illustrator, but I have bought brush kits. I've bought Photoshop presets, uh, a variety of templates where, you know, it was close enough to what I had in mind. It would just save me a number of hours to kind of shortcut my my work process. And of course, I've also created those types of things for myself um, down the line. But um, yeah, tell us tell us how you even came up with your first idea. Um. I don't remember exactly why I chose it. It might have just been a um, random chance that when I knew I needed to come up with some side hustle, quote mm-hmm. unquote, um, that I had been on the waiting list for Creative Market. It was Creative Market had just opened. It had been a couple was, months, maybe. Yeah, invite only. Opened. And um, what was it? Invite was only. That? I don't remember. Um, I think at first it was like you sign up and you get early access or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But by the time I started doing stuff on there, I um, it was like public. Uh, 
I think it was that. I think it was that I, there was a, this very certain retro aesthetic going on at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a trend going on. And I would go on Dribble, and you'd see all this great artwork from people. Mm-hmm. And people would be like, your, your work's amazing. And they'd be like, thank you so much. And then, and then someone would say, how did you get that texture? And then they wouldn't tell you. Uh, and it felt kind of like people with magic tricks that wouldn't tell you the tricks. And um, I they want of, to keep their secrets. Right. They right? want to keep Especially their secrets. Especially as creators. I think sometimes we're, we want to keep that secret to ourselves. But um, I think it, there's, there's, you, you get so much more out of um, just, it's much more fulfilling to share your creative process. And you just never know how what you do might help somebody like, decide that they're going to turn into a full-time artist or it helps them overcome this one thing that now they're suddenly better at doing something. So I've changed my mind about it, but yeah, I I hear you uh, about sharing, sharing creative processes. Yeah. And so a lot of people weren't, and I think you're totally right. I think like um, some people feel like maybe someone's going to take their style. Mm. um, But I think it's just like a, that's like a, um, just a lack of faith. I think sometimes we have in ourselves, we have a little Mm -hmm. bit of doubt in ourselves. We're we're a little bit afraid that maybe if I tell them the brushes, maybe if I tell them the font I'm using, maybe if I tell them this or that, um, that they'll copy me and there won't be enough for me. Mm -hmm. But um, these Mm -hmm. people were all fantastic and that wasn't true, but they wouldn't tell you. Um, And so I started making things to kind of try to emulate these things. And uh, I kind of had this, I just figured there was probably other people that really wanted to know. And so I just started making that. And I also, we were at my grandmother's house and I had grown up with my grandmother. And so one of, she had inherited um, a home and various things from my great aunt. And one of the stipulations of living there or getting that inheritance was that they would not change the house. So oh, the wow. house looked like a mid-century museum. So oh I also had all this stuff around me and I was <laughs> like, I, I can scan this stuff and experiment with it. Like old um, records or... Um... Uh, you like know what Borox I love boxes and stuff yeah I was gonna yeah. say so one thing I used to love from my grandparents was uh, she was a hairdresser she had all the original packaging my granddad had like tools and the things that went with tools in all its original packaging I I love that kind of stuff yeah so that was your I, I do too okay yeah I mean it was very nostalgic for me like even though I'm a child of the 80s and that stuff was from like the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. I grew up with it at her house so it mm-hmm. reminded me of my childhood and so um yeah it was kind of all around me and I think it was just a strange combination of things around me at the time mm. interestingly thinking back um I was talking about what kind of art I like the best uh and and almost all of the artists or the work that happened was from the 60s, some from the 50s, but definitely in the 60s, some different sculptors and, and uh, painters and mixed media artists. But yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of glad I'm not alive in the 60s, but I, I do love and appreciate many things that happened in that time period. <laughs> well, and you know, like it's so funny because, um, you know, like for us now, you know, it's 2023, right? So you think back, so in the 80s, when you're experiencing this stuff for myself, it was 20 years old. So it would have been like something from 2003 yeah. today. So it, that stuff was still alive back then. It wasn't like it was out of date. It was still just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good point. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Better inventory everything that's happening now in 20 years, it's going to be retro. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah. 
Okay. So you've been in, you've had, um, uh, retro supply for 10 years. What have you learned about monetizing your creative skills in the last 10 years? Um, well, the, the first thing, um, the first thing that I learned, and I, this is pretty common nowadays, but when I started on creative market, it wasn't. And I think it was maybe one of the things that contributed to um, my success was that Although people, all these people selling stuff on there were designers in their jobs, when they would put stuff onto the marketplace, they would just literally just maybe have like a stamp of brush and put, I don't know, a paper texture brush. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't look good. And it was Not just kind of just, it was just thrown out there. Yeah, they didn't yeah. make it like, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, make it sexy, right? And mm-hmm. I thought from working in that other internet business, I realized you got to make it feel like people people need to feel like they're looking at a three-dimensional thing that they might pick up in a store and be drawn to. Mm. And that increases the value and pulls people's eyes in. And so with my graphic design skills, which were not as good as, you know, a a lot of people's, I still knew to kind of like make that stuff uh, more interesting. And so I really worked on trying to make it interesting and show really good examples. I knew people needed before and afters. They needed bullet points. They needed all these things. So I think that one of the big things I learned was you really need to get people excited about the result that they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever can get there, whoever can stimulate people's curiosity, um, hook them with how is this done, make them a promise that really applies to their work. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, they've kind of taken that first step in the door. And so the first thing I think is to be interesting. Um, and then to really understand the very basics of just marketing funnels, just understand that you need to get an email address. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more valuable in my opinion than an email address online, even today. Yep. Um, and because once you have the email address, you can ask them over and over to buy things and not mm-hmm. in a gross, annoying way, but you can ask them by showing them different angles. Here's mm-hmm. how this, here's how these work. Here's how easy they are. Here's what other customers think of them. Mm-hmm. Here's how you can make your money back really easy with this because of how much time it saves you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more different angles you can kind of adjust to show them, those are all chances to get a sale. And um, you kind of just keep amplifying that by getting more and more email subscribers mm-hmm. um, and really listening to what, paying attention to what makes them want to buy something. That's great. So our, so when you started this business, it was just you, correct? Yes. All right. So take us back to like making your first five grand in that business. How did, how did it happen? Was it still on creative market or was it now on your own website? Yeah, I think it was on my own. It was on creative market. Um, I think I probably made my first 15 or 20 grand on creative market. I really got lucky. Um, They, they were based in San Francisco and I was in the Bay area Mm -hmm. and um, they were small, so they messaged me and would say, Hey, we, we're going to feature this. And so I, I made the first probably 15 or 20 grand just on creative market, but I knew I needed to get that side up. I knew that, um, this opportunity was going to disappear mm-hmm. eventually on creative market. And it did disappear not as quickly okay. as I was afraid it would, but it did. If I had not built my own website out, I would not have, um, mm-hmm. I would not be in business today. I don't know. It's scary to think what I'd be doing if I had not done that. Um, so the very first thing I did was I just got MailChimp and I just made before the site was even up. It was just MailChimp 
with an email form with the promise of a free thing. Mm -hmm. And there was no site. It mm -hmm. was just to get that, start capturing those email addresses. That's so every smart. person that bought something, I personally write them on Creator Market and say, yep. thank you so much for buying this um, as a thank you. And because I was so grateful. This was helping me to have money, like diaper money and yeah. like other things for my child on the way, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, as a thank you, I have this free pack for you. All you have to do is go here and enter your email address and you'll get this pack for free. And mm -hmm. every person, I mean, literally, I was so hungry at that point that I had my notifications on. And every time an email came in telling me that I had a message on Creative Market, I would stop what I was doing, go to the computer, mm -hmm. write that person an email, send them that to, to that email list. Mm -hmm. um, and so my first five grand off of Creative Market, where it was more my own doing than mm -hmm. them featuring me, mm -hmm. was me having built that list one by one and then offering okay. products to them via that list. Yeah, this is so good because I think there's a great lesson there um, that we need to start before we're ready. And so many people think we need websites to sell the thing that you are offering. And this applies to you know artists and creatives, but also other types of new business um, or business owners that are starting something new. It's like, no, but if you get a domain or... I mean, ideally domain and at least put up a mailing list um, opt-in with a lead magnet, fantastic, but you can easily do it without that because almost all modern um, email marketing um, services now offer a landing page creation option within their, their platform, which five, 10 years ago, that was not the case. So you can have right. just one service for free many times, right? Or a low yes. investment um, to, to capture that and start promoting. That's really great. And, and which you should absolutely do, I think, because especially when you start a business, whatever you think the business is, I'm sure you know this, it is not, oh, that yeah. is not what it's going to be. You might think your yeah. business is going to be like, you might hear this podcast be like, I'm yes. making a brush business like Dustin. Yes. And you might start <laughs> doing that. And then what you'll find out a year down the road is that you're selling, um, you know, cohorts of coaching or something like that mm -hmm. for for illustrators, it's not what you thought. Mm -hmm. So if you had named it Debbie's Brushes and you got that domain, you set it all up, you thought you got how it looked, you'll find that's not even your customer. And it was mm -hmm. all just lost time because you had to rename the business anyways. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not what that that group of customers you had wanted. So um, it really is better to start kind of in a collaboration or at least be listening to what who the people are that actually are drawn to you, not who you think. Because boy, the people that are drawn are drawn to the business are very different than the people I thought would be drawn to the business. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I'm I'm discovering um, that a lot of marketers are attracted to working with me in my consulting practice, which I find super interesting. Because uh, you know, you would think marketers know all the things, and many times they do. They just need another perspective um, or somebody come in with strategy and help them. Uh, you know help them give them a roadmap on what to do first and how to prioritize. And so I find myself doing quite a bit of that, but I can also completely relate because I have a coach. I need some I need uh, their perspective on what should I be focusing on and prioritizing because I can very easily spend far too much time on my website or writing lovely copy or all the creative and fun things and avoid the things that actually bring cash flow into my bank account. <laughs> and you've been doing this for a good amount of time. And, yes. and if you're like me, you probably know. I mean, I, I do that too. I do these things 
you just do them too long and yes. you know you shouldn't do them. And it's yeah. almost like a mental obsession, <laughs> like a, a OCD thing you can't get yourself out of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you should, you yeah. start looking at apps or fun little like marketing app things and you do that forever. Next thing you know, you're logging in and signing up for an account on it. And yes. all you needed to do was make like one social post. What happened? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I also heavily, heavily now use bookmarks. I like to keep mine organized. I already know you know, if it's something cool I want to read, I also then actually keep tabs open, which then I have too many tabs open. My poor Chrome is like, um, hello. <laughs> uh, but yes, I do look at bookmarks quite a bit uh, or add things to a reading list because I do love to learn, but I can very easily like, I, I, I was doing something just the other day and I was just trying to finish something, get it out the door. And I somehow signed up for something. <laughs> now I can't remember what it was, but you know, I can oftentimes I'm, I, because I am also curious like you, I just, I want to see it. I want to see what they're doing. And um, you know, uh, I can always unsubscribe, right? Every right, now right and then yeah. I do that editing process. It's like, yes, great, great uh, content information product, whatever, but I never, you know, it really, um, I need to be mindful of my time now because uh, there are too many things. I, I am still wearing way too many hats. I know that. And so I have to you really use time blocking to plan out certain uh, days of the week where I just, I have this particular deliverable and I need to do it. Um, otherwise, I'm going to always be chasing and running behind things last minute. And that's not how I want to operate. So plus I have to practice what I teach, right? Yeah, well, and it becomes more difficult, right? And um, yes. it's, uh, it's, don't you think it's interesting? Because I think like when I was starting, you know, I had no money and I felt like money would solve all, all problems. You know, if I only had this much money, I'd be able to get this going and that going. And you think you're at a disadvantage to get started because you don't have that. Mm. Um, and but what, what you kind of find out is like the grass is greener on whatever side you're on. Like now the business has a good amount of money right. and we could do anything we want, but that actually just creates a bunch of options that creates a bunch of commitments mm -hmm. that creates um, more decision fatigue. Mm -hmm. And back when I started, you know, your options were limited. And so you worked those things. Mm -hmm. Now there's so many options that it becomes paralyzing. Mm -hmm. um, and you also start to consume so much more information mm -hmm. that the information starts to contradict itself from different yeah. places. Mm -hmm. And then you start creating so many rules that you can't move. So you think, yeah, I shouldn't make the site first. I should make the email opt-in. And then you start yeah. working on that. Then you say, wait, someone said to follow your heart. Like you should make the thing that you want and like people will <laughs> gravitate towards. So then yeah. you start making what you want mm -hmm. and then you see something else. And it says, mm -hmm. um, you know, just listen to the community and like tell them what they, what, what they just told you. You know what I mean? Like, and so you, yeah. you almost can't, you can, you can know too much. You can, yes. you can read too much. Um, I, I, I can relate to that um, uh, because maybe in the last six, I would say in the last six months, I love learning. I love reading books. I've done a ton of different types of business trainings. I've learned models. Um, I've listened to a number of podcasts and many of these um, teachers, coaches, experts, whatever you want to call them, they have great advice. Uh, they have, you know, gone and done the things that I want to be doing. But then I also realized that I was listening to too many things and it was very distracting. 
Um, I am somebody who does not like notifications, so I have them turned off um, or, and only allow like text notifications on certain things. But um, uh, so, but yeah, I had to just kind of unsubscribe from even some great um, email newsletters that I just I because I was then thinking I need to start applying the things right, and so for this year I've really focused on. And since we're only in January, um, this whole year for me is really focusing on the things that I've actually learned and applying them all the way, because it's so easy to kind of get this nugget and then not finish what you're doing and then take their advice and do the thing that oftentimes you you also don't get to finish. So I've just reduced my my kind of input, so to speak. Um, and really get better at some of the things that I've already learned um, and just need to get better at or, or automate more, right? So there, yeah. So what you mean the, the things that like you and your experience have worked for you, you're trying to stick to like, you're like, I know this works for me. So I need to like expand the thing out that I've proven to myself works. Yeah, yes. And it's just also um, learning from different types of um, coaches and just business trainings, because you can easily, you know, there's so many subject matter experts that can teach you how to do the digital product, how to do your cash flow, how to optimize your business, how to think about your business in a, in a much broader perspective. And I know where my gaps are right now. So I'm focusing on uh, filling those gaps because I know I need help doing that. And, mm -hmm. and then maybe, uh, deprioritizing th some things that I'm already good at, but but it's more a point for that. Uh, even though there's great content out there, if you're overwhelmed by kind of 20 to 50 people um, or companies kind of talking into you, that maybe you should pick two or three that you feel aligned with that can consistently produce great content that you're learning from, and then actually apply the things that you're learning. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, that really is, I think, one of the biggest challenges for uh, for everyone in some way. It's just there's just so much, such a big menu of things to pick from. That's that's right. And like you were saying, decision fatigue. I think that's that's certainly true uh, for for myself as a creative and an artist. Um, and I think that's where people can get so overwhelmed, especially if they're just starting out or if they're switching from another career is that there are so many choices. Do I do NFTs? Do I do digital products? Do I do a course? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you could do all of them, but what aligns with your values and who you want to be? Do you want to teach other artists? Do you want to just focus on selling your original work? Do you want to collaborate? You know, pick one thing and kind of um, work the steps. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you get to, pardon. No, go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I did read that you also work with creatives. Um, I'd love to hear more about what you do. Um, is that in a coaching capacity or um, I know you have some courses available on Retro Supply? Um, yeah, well, I, I, we have some courses available on Retro Supply um, that focus on like, we have, we have one called How to Make T-shirts that Sell. That goes into selling t-shirts. Um, we have some on illustration and whatnot. Um, and then I I have a guess I don't I don't think I'd call it a business, maybe like a side thing that I've done from time to time called passive income for designers. And um okay. 
I'd started that maybe a year after I started the business. I just kind of was getting so many messages. I spoke at a conference or two and I got so many people asking me, well, how do you do this? Or I just realized there was a market for it. And um, mm -hmm. I was like, well, first I didn't want to tell people. I felt like the people that were, <laughs> I was saying I didn't, that didn't share their right. stuff. I didn't want to share what yeah. I was doing. And then I realized real quick that people are going to figure this out one way or another. So they might, might as well learn as well, it from you. I might as well do it and take the credit for it, right? Like as much <laughs> yeah. as I can. So yeah. I started teaching it. Um, and I have that site, but I really am not active in doing it. Um, mm -hmm. Courses are available to the people that bought it back mm -hmm. in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd like to get into it again, but I don't know if I really resonate with the same ideas. I think mm -hmm. they're all true, the mm -hmm. things I was teaching, but I don't resonate the same way with the business as I did when I started that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a, a lot of business advice but not enough geared specifically for creatives and even mm -hmm. more so fine artists versus illustrators, designers, right? Because let's see, I have um, Olive's hair is suddenly uh, blowing into my face. For all you that are listening, Olive is my puppy who is sitting right by my chair. Um, uh, so I think there's, it's so much easier to, in my mind at least uh, as a designer illustrator to productize um, your skill from like you um, did with brushes and templates and textures and things that are naturally um, turned into a product that can sell. Mm -hmm. uh, I think mm -hmm. fine artists uh, struggle with that a little bit more and don't um, really put that entrepreneurial hat on and figure out how they can make money beyond the original work that they can create. And so in my consulting practice, I teach fine artists how to create at least two to three um, revenue streams because buying art is not always a daily activity. It's, uh, you know, uh, even if you have it av available on your website and depending on which price point you're at, it's oftentimes a higher ticket item, but they can certainly diversify um, and take potentially that same image and put it on a, on a less expensive art product, or they can um, take a brush, right, mark that they do or texture and turn that into a digital asset and, mm -hmm. um, and, and a variety of different um, other ways to to make additional revenue so have you how would you say what can fine artists specifically learn from designer illustrators oh, gosh, that's a good question um I've never been a fine artist so I'm I guess anything I say I'm not speaking from experience <laughs> I guess would say keep in mind well, I've known fine artists that do it but Okay, so um, what about how could they maybe think more like an entrepreneur? Mm, yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I think that whether you're selling art or design assets or anything else, coffees, donuts, whatever, um, <laughs> everything and an artist really knows. An artist listening know, you know, a lot of their a lot of their art and that whole business is based on relationships. Yes. Um, getting into I, I don't know all the ins and out of it outs sure. of it, but getting into galleries or or different things or getting people or making money from it involves repeat customers mm -hmm. that buy your art over and over again because they're a fan. It involves um, mm -hmm. galleries that want to have you back because um, they know you because you draw people in. 
And I think that realizing that a lot of what makes, say, for instance, galleries so, so powerful in a way is that they can draw people and it requires people to make revenue. So find a way to build a community around yourself, whether that's through having an email list, whether mm -hmm. that's by having people just write their names down um, on a, oftentimes you'll see that, right? When you go into a gallery, you'll see, you can write your name down and an mm -hmm. email or whatnot, and then actually communicating with them. Um, mm -hmm. Because I feel like unless- That's, unless that's a good really... point, actually. Actually communicate, right? Following up. Because so many times, I, I recently talked to an artist who I asked them if they have an email list and they said they have, you know, almost a thousand email addresses but they haven't done anything with it yet. So, you know, it's, that's like super valuable to have this list. I mean, a thousand is impressive number. I mean, 50 would right, be great yeah. if you're just starting out, but you know, um, so ways to, to really build relationship and make sure that you're top of mind. Um, and so when, when somebody's ready to buy art, right, for a new home or maybe, um, a commercial space or they are having their house remodeled or, or for whatever reason, you know, because there's many price points of art um, that you're that you're the one that they think of. Absolutely. Well, and too, like, I, I think, you know, like the most valuable art, right, there's kind of the very most valuable art is people as household names. And when it's a household name, um, we'll pay a huge amount of money, mm -hmm. even for a little sketch. You know, I think I mm -hmm. saw one time in San Francisco in a gallery, they had somehow acquired some uh, sketches from Picasso. Mm -hmm. And I mean, these, these must have taken him three seconds. It looked like he right. was just testing a pencil out real quick. <laughs> and they're selling seven to $10,000 for these little sketches that could have just been pulled out of his garbage can. Mm -hmm. um, but it's because you know the name, you know the story of him, you know all these things about his life. You know, you remember him from the Apple commercial, you, you know, like there's all these iconic moments of him that you can picture in your head. And the opportunity that you get with having a community is that you can't make culture do that for you. You know, that you can't make yourself become that, you know, we, but you can for that list. If you're telling them stories about what you're doing, mm -hmm. if you're if you're feeding them um, almost like po positive propaganda about yourself, if you're constantly telling them, here's what the look and feel of me is like, mm -hmm. here's how I think about things. If you're kind of blasting that, just like pop culture might blast um, Picasso or a, uh, whoever, whatever artist, then when you go to sell it, it has value to them. Mm -hmm. You know, you can sell a piece that you might've struggled to sell for $200. You might be able to sell for 2000 because they know you, you're a story on the canvas at that point. Um, and you'll do that better. You'll be a better advocate of that than any uh, gallery or newspaper. Or, can uh, you imagine uh, if Picasso had a marketer and lived in today's age? <laughs> oh gosh, that's scary, right? Can you imagine him doing <laughs> NFTs? Uh, well, maybe <laughs> it would be a, a mindset shift. I think a lot of artists that learned in traditional, like traditional fine art, um, and they've not done anything in technology, NFTs can be really scary. But I mean, I just had somebody on the show this morning that has had sellout um, collections on with NFTs and has, but they, they, are interested in technology and they're kind of using it as, um, or at least in the beginning, used it as exper experimentation and play. Uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. Web three is coming, so we we need to you know adopt certain um, 
certain, I think, learning opportunities to see if that's an opportunity for uh, your art to take a different shape. And that that kind of reminds me of um, talking about seeing what's coming, reminds me of, I think, um, one of the best ways I would imagine an artist or designer, whoever can make more money in their business is um, listening or asking people what they would pay you for. Mm. Um, I'll tell you an example that actually happened with, I know that you'd had Brad Woodard on um, yes. a while back. <laughs> yes. And this actually happened with uh, Brad and myself. We, we did a webinar and we were going to sell a course on creating match style illustrations from like the 1950s. Okay. Um, so people got into this webinar and um, we're teaching them about that illustration style and give them like, free brushes and talk them through how, to, how you could make the styles. And what our plan was, was the people that really love this, we will offer them like a paid version of it where you'll have like coaching and you'll be able to submit your work and get critiques, all this stuff with it. And so at, at the end of this webinar, we, you know, we offered this, said, you know, here's what this is and here's the price for it. And you can get critiques and all these things. And here's a button and buy now. Mm -hmm. And nobody clicked. Nobody and clicked. it was uh -huh. so awkward. It was, yeah, no, nobody, nobody. And typically what happens is you'll get some momentum because once a couple people um, purchase, they feel kind of confident that, okay, I'm not the only one. And I kept describing what they were going to get. And we were so excited about it and no one was, was purchasing it. And eventually I stopped and I, I, uh, Brad and I just said, something's not right here. No one wants this. Something is stopping you from buying this, but I know you're interested in, in this. Tell me, what do you want to buy? Mm -hmm. And people start saying, well, I don't really want to buy a matchbook thing. I want to buy something on mid-century illustration. And so we just said, wait, hold on. Okay, never mind. We're not, we're not selling a matchbook illustration thing. We're selling a mid-century illustration thing. And <laughs> We did that literally on the call and just started describing like or asking them what they wanted. And, they, and we'd say, okay, we're going to yeah. include that and include that. And the sales started coming in. And by the end of it, um, we must have done $7,000 worth of sales. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have it. We were just asking them what they wanted. And, you know, Brad is a very accomplished illustrator. And so they were excited to have him teach that. Of course. Um, yeah. But we, but if we had just kept pushing, it wouldn't matter how much we tried to sell people on matchbook right. art. They didn't want it. Um, yeah. So we had to ask, what do you want? Well, and in, and good do product that. design does that, right? But and then, but this is again this fine line of well, um, in fine art, you can't. I don't think you can really do that. Um, and as somebody who's lived in product design, I'm just thinking, well, uh, I think yes, you should be asking questions, but the questions could be like, um, are you looking for a certain size uh, of artwork? Um, or certain color tones or certain, you know, there's certainly those options, especially for a specific type of, let's say, painter who does, who works a lot with interior designers or um, is more in the home, um, home decor arts versus the true fine arts, because the, the fine art side of things really is a lot about, you know, it could be a political topic or just some deep something deep inside of you it's not 
you know, there are very many kind of aspects to fine art. And, and of course, that's also up to the interpretation of the, the artist and the viewer. So it's it's harder to right. ask uh, what what would what would people want, right? Well, yeah, I would, I would add to that. I, I think you're right. You couldn't ask you couldn't ask them how what to paint, for instance, or draw. Mm -hmm. But you mm -hmm. could you could ask them what are what are tell me about the other artists you get stuff that you've purchased their art or or what or, have you bought that other artists have made? That's might be a great question. Spent, they might say right. Right. And they yeah. might say, I bought mugs or I bought coffee table books from this person or I love this yeah. person's cause. And so I'm part yeah. of their community for this because there's a lot of, like you were saying, there's lots of other ways other than the yeah. art that you might just be unaware of that they like to consume. Yeah, that's that's art. good because, you know, I I obviously when I'm working with with um, artists, um, I encourage them to have a consistent pricing strategy. And oftentimes that includes, you know, raising their prices because many artists price too low um, for the market, uh, but also to show a great range. Even if you're not actively producing, you know, a painting or a sculpture or print within all aspects of your pricing range, if you can show that you could potentially do a three by three foot and a 10 by 10 foot in your particular medium, um, as an example, and have kind of a price associated with it, that shows good range because nobody's gonna ask you for a 10 by 10 if you only ever show them a three by three. And so- um, That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, uh, let me just turn off my notifications that just suddenly turned on because do you know our mutual friend, um, the Albrechts? That was Brad's friend. I think so. No, okay. They're so. also my neighbors, so they have they're having me over for dinner, which is very fun. Oh so, wow! Yeah, I'm getting all the messages. Did you know? Did you know Brad when he lived in Texas? I didn't. I just have lived here a little over a year. No, I was in Spain before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, um, amazing. <laughs> No, I, I I heard though that he might come uh, come for a visit and and take his new show on the road, so we'll see we'll see if if he does that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see that. Um, okay, so sorry, I'm gonna have to edit this one out. <laughs> um, I wanted to make a point about um, oh, you know you've probably learned this in, in entrepreneurship in general, right? So a business um, typically has products that they sell. They, you are encouraged to work on your business, not in your business, right? Um, have employees, have an exit strategy and all of that. And I find that challenging um, to kind of bring into the fine art space um, and or creator mm -hmm. space where, us, us creatives are making the, the product and we can certainly diversify our product range, right? Um, I think in some instances, we should be hiring in like a studio assistant or potentially a marketer and certainly an accountant and a legal advisor and some different aspects of the business that can take away um, tasks that you're not really great at. So you can focus your genius time on what it is that you do and spend more time creating. But like the exit strategy 
in art is like death <laughs> and potentially, <laughs> you know, Ooh. like, I mean, can you think of something where something lives beyond the creator's kind of time of life where, and there's, of course, there's things that you can do, like putting your collections in a trust and financially having um, kind of things set up for that. And um, if you have a great collection and a museum potentially wants to own it or show it, that is definitely an avenue. But can you think of something as a creator? Because I have a hard time kind of translating that that aspect of um, business specifically towards artists and creatives. Yeah, that's that's tricky. I, I can think of only... Um... Of course, like there's, it's it's fairly easy to think of examples of like uh, artists and like music how they would do it. Mm. But um, one one way that I've seen done with uh, traditional artists is uh, my my cousin. She works for an artist, and uh, forgive me, I, I don't know the artist's name, but they're a well-known artist that uses um, paper mm -hmm. um, and different like mediums related to that for their art. They make these gigantic pieces, mm -hmm. um, but one way they expanded it out was they got gigantic, like a couple of gigantic kind of industrial sized paper cutters. Okay. And for hotels and places like that, they had these machines basically cut the paper out. And then my cousin works for this artist and assembles them into these huh. gigantic series. So it's, it's the artist's art. Right. It's just not by the artist's hand. It's done by a machine of the art. And then she assembles it, puts it together, frames mm -hmm. it, makes sure that it meets the specifications that have been specifically mm -hmm. put by the artist. So it's kind of like an equivalent to a print, but with paper art. Right. And she sells these big pieces that many of them will go into one hotel. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine um, she could sell that, that she could have an exit strategy for that part of the business right. and just write off the um, the ownership of those pieces of art to be produced. Okay. That that makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, Jeff Koons is a very great example of a, an artist who has a staff of, I don't know, 50 or more people where he's, you know, conceptually doing art, but he's, he's you know, and I don't have complete insight into his creative practice, but just from what I've observed is that he has pe people painting for him and doing different aspects. And I think that's, you know, even in looking back to the old masters, many of them had apprentices and they would, you know, help them build their canvases or their frescoes and they would do some base work, but the overall concept and certainly the overall, like even art direction, if you think about it from a design standpoint, designers versus art directors and creative directors, kind of that level, um, the artists can certainly employ people, but I think it's, I'm finding in conversations with fine artists that that's a struggle for them. They want to do the things or they think they have to do all the things. And um, and in terms of building, you know, higher six figure and seven figure uh, revenue streams, you typically will have to have an amazingly amazing license deal or um, be able to bring people in to help um, support you in your in your creative business. Right. Yeah. It seems like either you, you need to have a massive amount of demand for your art and then you can mm -hmm. license it. Mm -hmm. um, and the other tricky part about artists is often most of the time they use their names, mm. which as soon as you try to exit on your name without dying, 
mm-hmm. your your business loses value because it's your name and then you're mm-hmm. not there. So mm-hmm. you kind of gut the business. So it's almost like um, I, I can imagine some, I can't think of any examples, but I know you, I see this all the time when you go to like really cool gift shops, things like that. If you have a subset of your business where you've done it under an, a, or a name, not mm-hmm. your name, but an actual business name and you're creating stuff in your style, but mm-hmm. it has a name to it. And then you're producing those things and they're almost like you were saying, you have small canvases or small pieces of art and very large ones. And then you have this other kind that's like, well, here's an option. Mm-hmm. You need stuff for your kids room to decorate or something like that, but Absolutely. you can't afford art for that. Yeah, I, I love that example because, um, you know, artists, uh, many artists do build their creative business um, under their own name. Some of them have created, um, uh, let's just say stage names. Uh, I don't know what the, the right term there is for the, for an art for the art world, but people understand that, right? So an, an alternate name. I've considered that for myself because I have a very, very long last name and to even have an artist signature, it's just, you know, anyways, that's a future decision to be made. Um, But having uh, as an artist, you can create a secondary brand um, that potentially sells a different aspect um, of your creations. It doesn't all have to be your own original work. Um, you could easily productize some of your art that is maybe even in the same style or different aesthetic um, with different materials at a different price point to generate income. And what if that made high high six or seven figure revenue and it could support your life and then you get to do whatever art you want and not be worried about if it sells or, or not. That would just also give you so much more freedom to live. Absolutely. Yeah. I, such a fun conversation. I, it would be, it would be a fantastic conversation to have for hours over coffee. Cause there's so many cool ways. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of exciting as an artist. There's so many cool ways you can make oh, stuff as an artist. I, I think absolutely. that you could do that. Yes. And I have not researched how, but I feel like it must happen all the time that, yeah. that they do this and they find ways to do it that are just so fun. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, um, some really great, uh, industrial designers, Mm-hmm. You know, they're almost like artists, you know, their, their mm-hmm. work is so amazing. They make one-off pieces mm-hmm. um, of industrial design, but then, you know, you can go into stores and they have lines of things where mm-hmm. they're the core component of mm-hmm. this mass produced version of this industrial design piece. Absolutely. And there's a market for everything, right? Um, I know we're at the, the, the tail end of our time together. Uh, and what I wanted to also make sure we discussed is that you're a co-host of a podcast called The Honest Designer Show. Would you tell us what it's about, who it's for, and what kind of things you talk about on the show? Yeah, um, so um, I have a podcast with uh, three co-hosts. So there's four of us, which I can only imagine how crazy it is to have four people hosting a show and have guests on that you're interviewing. Um, But it's called The Honest Designer Show. And um, it's myself, Tom Ross, Lisa Glanz, and Ian Barnard, um, who are all people that are artists, entrepreneur mixes. So Tom, mm-hmm. um, he started a company called Design Cuts. Um, mm-hmm. That's like a marketplace for designers and artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lisa Glanz is an illustrator um, and a fine artist, but she also started selling um, design resources and things like that, and mm-hmm. like more illustrator resources, really. And then um, Ian Barnard, who is a, started as a graphic designer, but is a lettering artist. And mm-hmm. we kind of all 
cross paths because we all had worked with Tom and then it started as a mastermind. We thought we were going to mastermind together and come up with ideas. And we talked one time and said, we should make a podcast, which probably every person that's ever met with someone on a Skype call or a Zoom call has said at some point. And we were like, let's do it. And uh, yeah. I think like, gosh, hundreds, we've done hundreds of episodes. I don't know if it's 200 or last, 500. Yeah, last I checked, it was over 200. Is it over 200? Yeah, it's a yeah. lot of episodes, but we got, we've talked to some amazing people like, um, uh, Austin Cleon always comes to mind because he's a big hero of mine. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Lisa or Lisa Congdon. Yes. Um, Love her. Actually, that was great... the episode I was just listening to. Yeah. I mean, that was a really exciting one for me because I'm such a, a fan of hers and it was mm-hmm. amazing. But um, if you like, if you're looking for places where entrepreneurship and maybe a little more design, but there's definitely some art in there too. Um, we kind of just talk like four people with very unique perspectives. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the business guy who I, I don't draw anymore. Um, then you have Tom, who's a business guy. Then you have Ian, who's doing lettering. And then you have Lisa, who is hardcore illustrator um, and painter. Mm-hmm. And we have pretty strong conversations. We've gotten into <laughs> yelling matches with each other. We've gotten where we all agree on something where we totally don't. Um, but it's interesting to kind of hear four different perspectives on how do you make money in this kind of business. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I will put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I always, I love learning. Uh, I think there's, um, you know, collaboration over competition, right? Because you can learn something from an artist can, a fine artist can learn something from, from that channel, no doubt. And, um, and I think we should be listening to all different types of podcasts of, of things that interest us because you never know who might say that one thing that that is a yes for you and makes you take action towards that one thing that you need to be doing. So maybe you were listening um, to Dustin today and you realized I really need to get my uh, email list going. <laughs> so yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? It really is. It's, it's I think people think simple. you need a bunch of things to fall in place. You just need yeah. a few things to fall in place and yeah. do them well. And it really can be two or three things mm-hmm. and magic happens. You just have to find those things for yourself. That's true. What have you learned from having guests on your show? Um, I've learned that I should talk less and listen more. <laughs> okay. Incredibly hard to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, <laughs> in terms of what, what I find, I, I found it, all successful artists that we've had on. And I mean, there's so many of them. These are people way, way above, you know, us, um, is that all of them share consistency. They don't share confidence. Mm. They don't share, um, brilliant ideas or being great communicators or being charismatic. Some of them are all of those things or one of those things, but the thing they all have is that they all show up consistently and deliver stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if I could just give people one piece of advice that I think will most increase your chances of succeeding, mm-hmm. it's do the thing you're going to do and repeat it over and over again. And then when you feel like you should give up, grit your teeth and do it mm-hmm. about 25% longer than that. Um, and assuming you're making some adjustments for things mm-hmm. that aren't working, I would be surprised if you don't find some success. Yeah, uh, that's such a good point because, you know, it's not the talented, the most talented artists that are always successful. It's the ones who are showing their work. They're consistently 
publishing their art on various platforms from their own site to social media to marketplaces they're pursuing you know opportunities and they are working their email list and that you know it's it's sometimes like it, it's still eyebrow raising but it really speaks to that consistency aspect of showing up and and having a long-term strategy you can easily make multiple six figures and more if you are consistently doing those things 100 percent um i'll say a last thing if i have a moment to yes of um, course uh for for people um uh, that are maybe right now trying to find themselves or wondering if they're doing the right thing. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and very much myself too, uh, where at some point, I, I just like for myself, I remember waking up and looking at the ceiling in the middle of the night, many nights and thinking, I am living a pipe dream. It's This is so silly. <laughs> My idea is so silly. Um, I am embarrassed. I'm like, I, why do I think this will work? I just didn't believe in myself. Mm. And I... And then I did it for about a year and a half longer than I probably should have. Mm -hmm. And it worked out. And I feel like so many times people get so close and they don't just push a little longer than everybody else. And that's kind of where things tend to happen. The universe starts to click mm -hmm. just when you prove to it that you refuse to stop. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Awesome. Well, do you have one big goal that you're pursuing this year? Gosh, I mean, I have I have three kids now, so I think my goal is balance. I'm just trying to <laughs> make sure I enjoy these precious years with my children while also keeping the business, um, mm -hmm. you know, interesting. How old are your kids? Uh, five, seven, and nine. Wow, great, great ages. And do they get yes. a behind-the-scenes glimpse of your the business side of of your life? They do. We do take um, take your like my my little one is my little boy, so he hasn't yet. But my daughters do take your daughter to work day, and they they stay here, and we pick a charity most years, and we'll donate the money from that day to it, and I'll just do things in the business for the day. That's, That's awesome. Fun. Yeah, this is you know takes us back to the beginning of our conversation that uh, it's good to be exposed to these learning opportunities and have you know role models in your life if it's your uh, friends and family or somebody um, that you don't know and might never know but somebody you can look up to and say hey they did that and and um, and I can do that because it just builds my confidence. I remember when. Um, a few years ago, I was looking at uh, several different artists from all around the globe that I had found on Instagram. And I literally wrote their names on post-it notes. These were artists, designers, illustrators of all different kinds. Um, but it, it, it was just validating to me again, the idea of these artists are making uh, real money. They're getting real exposure by putting their ideas out there and I just needed a boost at the time. So I, and I needed to see it with my own eyes because believe yeah. me, I have so many bookmarks and, and, and digital uh, dust, if you know what I mean, that I needed to visually see them. So on the post note, it went and it just, every day I walked past and like, wow, these people are already doing it. So can I. That is so smart. Yeah. Mm. Because you can do it. They are not smarter or clever no. or have something special going on. They really don't. And no. I think we really 
tell ourselves that, but we don't believe it oftentimes. That's so true. And, and, and it's not about they can do this better or there's, I know that there's better designers, sculptors, art business coaches and consultants. Yes, there's all of those who have had, you know, a different level of success, but what they have all done is that they put themselves out there. They have done the work. They show up consistently. They've probably improvised what it is that they're doing. Um, and they're, they're willing to take the risk and, and take the next step. That's all it takes. That really is. That is awesome. it. Well, Dustin, it's been a joy to speak with you. Um, I will put you links to your website and your social in the show notes. So please go check those out. And um, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, thank you. It was so nice to talk to you. I hope we do get a chance to talk again. Awesome. That's a wrap on this episode of Art Biz Talk with Vivid Creative. Please consider subscribing and sharing our podcast with your art friends. If you want to be interviewed on Art Biz Talk, please submit your application in the show notes.